Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Eye of the Tigers. This week, our guest is J.P. Olson. J.P. is the director of the Pulliam Center for Contemporary Media. As well as working in education, J.P. has worked as a writer, journalist, filmmaker, producer, television executive, and musician. I had the privilege of interviewing J.P. last semester for State of the Castle and excited to welcome him back again. Welcome, J.P. Thank you, Kimi. Nice to be here. So I would like to start by just going into those different facets that we just talked about um, mm-hmm. with what you've done um, in your career. Mm-hmm. So whichever one you'd like to start with, go ahead and take it from here. Well, people would ask me, you've done all these different kinds of things. What do you consider yourself? And I consider myself a straddler. Uh, so um, I would say the way that I got interested in all these different sort of strands of media is how I think about it has to do with um, partly just being interested in writing. And I think I might have talked about this before, but I was all about writing as a younger person. And I I still love writing. Um, And so that sent me into the world of, of, you know, of obviously writing and publishing. And I got interested in newspaper reporting. And just through some sort of flukes, I ended up working in television, which I hadn't necessarily expected to work in. And found myself working in television, and so I guess in a way I kind of been, was sucked into the vortex of media, and mm-hmm. in some ways I, and not even some ways, very intentionally went where I saw different opportunities. So, if it seemed like there might be more um, more ability to um, travel and to work on bigger stories, if that meant going into certain kinds of television, that's what I did. Um, and I was really interested in particularly in, uh, the more I was in television, the, the more interested I became in documentary film mm-hmm. because it was the most analogous to writing to my mind because you've spent a lot of time with your subject matter and, um, that appealed to me to really kind of get to understand, um, how media is, how, how bigger and typically historical projects would get made was of great interest to me. So, you know, honestly, it's, it's. If you knock around long enough, you will start to do all kinds of different things. And it's yeah. the rare person. I think, I, I mean, I don't want to misquote a statistic, but I think um, it's not atypical to, to have seven different jobs at this point um, in a full, you know, career. Yeah. And so that would, in a, in a way, a lot of what I did just kind of scanned with that idea that um, I, there would be an evolution or a change in technology that would make, say, print more and more difficult and shrinking the opportunities and ability to do certain things. And then other avenues within technology would open up and create a new, um, you know, a new form of media, whether that's, um, you know, digital kind of changed everything that yeah. you were probably born when digital was changing, but I was around for it. And it, it, it allowed people who wouldn't have been able to make a documentary film, make a documentary film. Mm-hmm. It, it caused an explosion of, of documentary film production. So in a lot of ways, um, I wouldn't say I just stood on a conveyor belt and just let it happen, (laughs) but I was moving through time and space and taking um, advantage of what seemed like the most interesting opportunities, and I was somewhat agnostic about the medium, though I still love writing the most, to be honest, yeah. So um, as you mentioned, you were a writer when you were younger. Mm -hmm. What, did you start with the nonfiction writing, or were you more of a fiction writer, creative writer? I was a creative writer, and um, I may have even joked about this before. I feel like I might be telling you the same things over <laughs> no, and over. No, you're good. But, uh, but I think, uh, you know, uh, I, I was really, really interested in fiction writing, and I was, you know, not dissimilar to students on campus. I was writing a column for the newspaper. Yeah. 
and I was um, interested, and I wrote a lot for the literary magazine. I worked on the radio show, and so I was involved in in generating all kinds of um, more entertainment style sort of things. And you know, mm-hmm. and, and and I was serious about my fiction. I went to New York on the New York Art, Arts Program and worked for a literary magazine. And even at that point, nobody told me um, being a short story writer isn't a job, you know. So yeah. when I got out of school, I really just thought, well, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a writer. I also happened to have chosen to live in New York City, which is prohibitively expensive. Right. So I had to figure it out pretty quickly. And I didn't um, I didn't feel like I would be able to do like a serious labor job and be able to write at night. So I figured I'd kind of split the difference and ended up working as a, a – a, originally I was an – assistant book editor. That's how I started. Mm -hmm. But I thought I was going to do fiction. And then um, I guess in some ways it might even be kind of, it's sort of crash, you know, crass in a way, but it was, I didn't even think about it, but it was clear to me that there was more opportunity in nonfiction. Yeah. And, um, and there was a market there, like, quote unquote. And um, so I took my love of narrative and sort of transferred it into nonfiction. And then I became began to see, particularly in documentary film and most definitely in what we would now call literary journalism, Mm -hmm. I saw a real beauty in that kind of um, storytelling. And I still do. I think it's a, it's a, and and so there are elements of it. Like I just had this conversation with Thomas Morton, uh, formerly of Vice, who was a, a guest here, who I think is one of the great television writers in my estimation. Um, one of the questions I always ask is like, it, can journalism be an art? Yeah. And I think I think in certain respects it can. I mean, I, I really did come out of more of a artistically minded background and then ended up at points like being that kind of reporter with their foot in the door demanding an answer from the mayor yeah. and yeah. stuff that I would have never thought would appeal to me started to reveal itself as really meaningful and interesting. Not necessarily being a nuisance to the mayor, but just... Right you know, not being unafraid to ask questions of people who had power over me, yeah. basically. So you mentioned that you did a lot of changing with the times, and I know that that's really difficult for a lot of people. Mm. What was the key to, like, in your mind, what was the key to changing with the times and being okay with all of these, you know, whether it be technology changing to where, mm. you know, different things are, you know, more popular or, you know, whatever it was? Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't, I mean, I can say I didn't chase a trend or anything like that. Yeah. And I, um, like I didn't go into television because that was the new thing. I mean, television had been around for 50 years right. at that point, at least actually, I should know the answer. Yeah. About 60 years. Um, by the time I was working in television, but, um, you know, I, you know, I think I didn't have a lot of, I, you know, I moved to New York just willing to, you know, in the words of E.B. White, willing to be lucky. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a lot of fear. And in some ways I was coming from a background nobody in my family had ever done anything like that before. So I felt compelled to just kind of do it. I think my parents were probably a little concerned about what I was doing because um, they didn't understand it. Um, but I think, you know, being... Hmm. It's an interesting question. The way that I've always thought about it is, do I want to do this kind of work? And are the people that I'm meeting doing this work, are they interesting to me? Mm -hmm. And do I find this work interesting? And that's really all I've ever, I've never thought about. I mean, this is not exactly great career advice, but I never thought about making money. Yeah. It was never, 
ever a consideration. Now it is. I'm like, boy, I've made some decisions that weren't (laughs) particularly financially that smart when I look around at some of my peers. But I always followed my heart and I always decided I would work on things because they were good. And if I found myself in a situation where I was working on projects that I didn't have a lot of um, respect for, I would just kind of keep my head down, do the work and look for the next opportunity that would get me out of it. And I never worked on anything that I'd be embarrassed of now. Mm-hmm. It's just some some of the work was, was of really high quality and I was really proud of being part of it or even doing it. Uh, and then other times it was always, it was always competent and I never felt, um, I can't think of a case where I was doing media and I felt like I feel bad about what I did today yeah. other than the usual sort of being a journalist and having to to do things that can sometimes feel uh, antisocial, right? Because you—that's what the job requires you to, um, you know. Be I'm thinking specifically when I was working at newspapers, mm-hmm. and some of the situations that were quite personal that you would get in working in local news in particular. Um, you know, the having to talk to the the mother. This is a real example: the mother of the young woman who was quietly robbing the bank mm-hmm. of tens of thousands of dollars and having to knock on the door and confront that person. Like, do you understand that your daughter was just arrested for yeah. grand larceny? Yeah. And, you know, you can imagine that's not a great conversation to have with right, someone, you right. know? So, um, so those kinds of things, but other than those kinds of situations that reporters will find themselves in, I never felt like I was, um, doing something that I couldn't justify as like ultimately a worthwhile endeavor Mm-hmm. And really tried to focus on that as much as possible. So what are some, and I know we've talked about this before, uh, you and I have, but um, what are some of those projects that, like, were those ones that you're super proud of now looking back? Yeah. I mean, same one, Narcotic Farm, which was a documentary uh, film that I made for PBS and a book that I co-authored that was the companion mm-hmm. to that. I'm still really proud of it. I just taught, I just finished up my class teaching it for the Prindle Institute um, because it's um it's a, a deep ethical question. Um, you know, how do you arrive at um, understanding the effects of, of dangerous drugs without um, using, you know, human models, meaning like yeah. test subjects, and when is it appropriate and not appropriate to do that? It's a really interesting subject. It's it's one of those things where I think ethics are a moving target. That particular project is just hung in there, you know, for 15 years. I mean, I still get emails and letters and phone calls Mm -hmm. asking about that project. So that's probably the one that I'm most proud of because I raised all the money. It was my idea. Like I thought, I think I can do this. And then there it was and became a book and became a documentary film that's still in circulation. And then, um, in smaller ways, I'm really proud of, um, some of the micro budget documentaries that I've made because I figured out how to make a documentary for like a couple grand. Yeah. And then they go to festivals sometimes all over the world. And that affords me opportunity to meet other filmmakers. And sometimes they become your friends or coworkers on other projects. Um, I'm thinking about a couple projects. I mean, I'm, I'm one project in particular I've applied for money through the university for, um, which has to do with um, a series of love letters from World War One that oh, wow. were gifted to the um, Greencastle, uh, to, rather to the Putnam County Library. Yeah. Um, so I'm always thinking about projects to work on. And then third, I'm actually super into music and um, uh, plan on recording a record within the year uh, with my two sons. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm excited, <laughs> yeah. And they're both really good singers, so I'm excited. And they're very good at vocal harmony, so we're going to harmonize together. Oh, nice. I know. I'm what like... got you into, like, uh, performing music? Hmm. Is it just kind of one of those things that you found I that love, you enjoyed? I love music, and I can remember from the early – I mean, this is so – I mean, no one listening to this, if anyone even, you know, is knows what I'm talking <laughs> about, would, would be uh, – I remember at five years old – uh, getting a record uh, 45 from the Beatles at this drugstore down the street from me in Ohio. And there was a song called uh, Revolution, the fast version. And I remember I just was transfixed by that. So from the time I was about five, and I also heard a song called Family Affair by Sly and the Family Stone on the radio one summer when I was probably four mm-hmm. or five. And I just remember thinking I love music. And so kind of fast forward to when I was 11 or 12 years old, I was at a kind of a folk festival with my brother and my dad and somebody was playing a dulcimer which is an Appalachian instrument and I my dad was um, you know he was insightful enough to see that I was really into it and I got one for Christmas and then I started to just um, learn how to I taught myself how to play every instrument that I play and um, it was purely just because I had to do it you know, and I was not, I was kind of naturally pretty shy. Mm-hmm. Um, so performing took a long time to get to a point where I would be able to stand up in front of people because I was by nature probably more of an introvert. Right. Um, but that was helpful. And so it was never um, like I, you know, lucky, lucky the person that just loves to perform and has no problem jumping up in front because it took me years to be able to play my own music in front of people. You yeah. Know? So I'm not really, I mean, I'm more of a writer and a, and a composer and a sort of conceptualist musically than I am like a performer. Yeah. But, you know, you want people to hear your music. So, right. So That's you fascinating. Got to go somewhere. Yeah. 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 All righty. Well, so we've talked about your background. Yes. So now I kind of want to shift a little bit and talk about what you're doing here at DePaul. Yes. As this is your first year. It and is. kind of a, you know, a little checkup from the last time we yeah. talked. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how are you feeling about you know, your first year so far, mm-hmm. um, being that it's halfway through second semester now? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I have had a really good w- week, and I think it's indicative of what I hope will be more. We have two students who are um, going to graduate and uh, work at the DePaul. Um, I won't name them because they're bashful. I, I don't know if they are, <laughs> uh, they are but, but um one has been accepted uh, for graduate school at Columbia for journalism. Oh, wow. And the other has been accepted to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And there are other schools that they've also been accepted to. I'm really happy for the prestige of the of the Northwestern and Columbia program. And I went to Columbia for grad school mm-hmm. so in that program so uh, and wrote recommendations for both these students. So I was really proud of the fact that they got into these programs. But even beyond that, it tells me that these are two students who are really serious about doing journalism. And so that made, you know, that made me, that filled my heart with pride because I think it is, um, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that, you know, journalism is a difficult trade to get into and uh, it's not for the weak of heart. And um, there are so many other ways you could spend your time that if a student would, after four years of fine education at DePaul, decide they want to pursue this further in some form or another, uh, I see that as a major win yeah. for everyone. So th- that would be the number one thing that I'm most proud of. In terms of, you know, in general, I love the job, obviously. And uh, um, a lot of it has felt very 
much like what I imagined mm-hmm. it would be, which would be, you know, once or twice a day, hopefully, a student outside my door asking advice about something, trying to help students get internships, helping students think about how a career in media might look, finding that student that doesn't even know that they're a natural at media is a big, uh, like a big point of excitement for me, and that's mm-hmm. happened several times this year. Um, so to me, you know, it's it's. I'm a very passionate person about things that I'm into. Yeah. Like I'm just into it, and so if people share a passion, whether it's for like I want to be on radio and podcasting, or I want to be an investigative reporter, or I want to be on air, or I want to be a, a film editor, or I want to be a um, you know, on the engineering side and think about how to put together broadcast systems. Um, I'm a person who wants to work with data. Um, I never knew that I could take that skill and use it for the public good. There's so many entry points to get into journalism that, you know, I like to look at the center as a big sandbox that we're all allowed to play in. And um, and my role is kind of to be, I, I think, um, in addition, just making sure that the staff gets what it needs, that I'm kind of the cruise director on this floating sandbox, you yeah. know, and I want everyone to feel like, well, they're being heard. And if someone has a passion or an interest uh, in any aspect of media because of my, you know, I joke being 400 years old <laughs> and also um, having gone through a lot of different iterations in media, I really do have a pretty good sense of different elements of how you can make a living in media, whether it's film or television or podcasting or writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's been essentially what I kind of imagined it would be. And I really appreciate the fact that for the most part, you know, uh, the staff and I are trying to shape the sort of next iteration of the Polyam Center. Yeah. Uh, and um, there there are challenges in every direction in society. I mean, we're in a very, I mean, to my mind, the most difficult period of history that I've been aware of. I can only imagine what it's like for a younger person to be navigating how complicated and difficult and frankly kind of scary the world can be. Right. Um, but I feel like this is a good environment to learn things. Yeah. Have a couple mistakes, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe blow a story and get it wrong. Yeah. Um, those things happen. That's obviously not the goal to just keep doing things wrong, but I'm very committed to the idea of being process-oriented over results-oriented at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, it, I mean, in any sense, like, you have to fail in order to learn. You do. Uh, there's only so much success you can have before you're like, oh, I've learned it all. No, you haven't. You haven't failed ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, every time, I mean, you'll hear anyone say this, anyone that knows anything knows that, um, you know, to look at something and say, oh, you know, well, they didn't do this or didn't do that from a sort of critical stance, that has a value. But I think ultimately what I'm interested in for myself is helping the next generation of practitioners. Mm -hmm. And part of that is to allow yourself the ability to fail because that's where you learn. And I think for me, you know, particularly my last job at HBO, part of the job was you know, or could be sort of standing back in judgment of other people's work. That's a l- privileged position to, to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like making stuff. I like being around people who make stuff. That's that's what that's what makes me happy. Yeah. And that's what I respond to. Yeah. And there's something for everyone 
Um, but that's that's where I come in, you know. Well, and I think it's also interesting too that like especially younger generations now are so like perfectionistic yeah. to where like they see failure as this oh I don't want to do it and it's like I might break down if I fail and maybe I need a different career if I fail. But realistically, it's it's like we've been saying like you have to go through that in order to in order to actually be good at what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, I raised two boys and there's all kinds of societal reasons for that, starting with, you know, parenting styles and um, expectations and social media. I mean, there's so many things that I don't, you know, that you are, you know, you're going through time and space at your age at this mm -hmm. point. So everything is kind of new, you yeah. know, and you're experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. And um, while, I do believe that this generation is quote unquote, your generation is quote unquote different than other generations. I don't think generations are really ever as different as one might think mm -hmm. uh, when you're going through it. And then you kind of come out the other side and you have like a little more experience and you see that there are, you know, every, you know, when I, for example, let me give you a concrete example. When I got out of school uh, in 1987, we were in the midst of a terrible financial situation, mm -hmm. similar to uh, 2008, yeah. and hopefully not similar to what we're about to walk into. But there's concerning, you know, signs to it. Uh, in 1987, there was a, or around that time, there was a film that came out called Slacker, and the idea of a slacker was like, you, you know, you're not working out of a job. There were no jobs in 1987. Like yeah. I remember, like how difficult it was to get work, and so, you know, we we see. I guess, in, you know, the, the idea of trying to seek perfection is such a, um, it's such a, uh, artifact's the wrong word, it's such a, um, it's such an indication of the, in my opinion, of the pressures mm -hmm. that people are under, and that you can internalize this expectation of perfection, and it's not healthy, mm -hmm. and we see it in like, you know, if you go to a, you know, my sons will talk about going to a nightclub and, you know, a third of the nightclub is um, is uh, taking Instagram photos of themselves and, like, experiencing life in that kind of way. That did not exist when I was younger. That's, yeah. that's a real change. Um, but fundamentally, um, you know, the strive for per perfection can be debilitating and a lot of the best ideas often come out of mistakes. I mean, for example, I mean, um, you know, it's... Um, it's not the be all end all, but I was a fan of and worked closely with and worked for um, Vice for some years, Vice Media, and much of that was built on experimentation and play, and they really just yeah. defined a new kind of journalism. You know, whether it's going to change the world, that's a different thing. But it took what what you could imagine as quote unquote alternative press of the 1990s, which was a print based. Uh, way of um it was a it's a print-based media which was very first person oriented a certain point of view not necessarily adhering to the like you know two sides of every story but really saying does it look like a duck does it walk like a duck can we call it yeah. a duck kind of journalism um and they transferred that notion from an alternative newspaper into a video form how did they do that they did it because uh, they brought in Spike Jones, the film director, when they were struggling to figure out how do we make video that feels like our our style. Mm -hmm. And apparently his his take was, we'll just do that on camera. And they just kind of figured that out. Yeah. You know, and they really kind of created a new style, which has been, frankly, like, uh, you know, 
both cartooned, which is, you know, the sign of success, and also um, has been replicated over and over, yeah. uh, not always to great success, but um, but that was all born out of not really knowing what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Well, and they're still doing it too, aren't they? Like, uh, wasn't it last semester they were here live streaming one of the... Yeah. One of their shows? Yeah. When Dexter Thomas came to visit, thank you for, it's funny, I was just looking at photos today of that because we're putting together a collection of photos historically within the Pulliam Center, which was fascinating. Um, And yeah, Dexter Thomas, who I think is one of the most interesting journalists that I know, uh, Dexter's a Pulitzer Prize winning, Emmy Award winning writer, producer, uh, Scott, he's a PhD in Asian studies. He was so interesting to talk to. Fascinating. Yeah. And a good person and still in touch with students. I mean, you, you know, he, he will, if you give him a jingle, he'll, yeah, he'll respond. Yeah. It's a good guy. But, uh, but he, um, yeah, he was using the, the, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. He was using the platform Twitch, mm-hmm. which is typically associated with gaming. And I remember when Twitch came out, I was like, I don't really know what you do with this other than people are watching each other play games. That platform may not ever be a good platform for what he was trying to do, but he was in an environment where people were not afraid to to try. Yeah. yeah. And part of that, you know, to be fair, I mean, part of that is all being supported because of venture capital and speculation and media. Um, I think the expectation that a student can, you know, get out of school and just walk into an environment where there's no regard for money at all is probably naive. But there are these moments, and I would advise anyone in in going into media, there are ebbs and flows. There's what I call the bites of the apple. It's not always going to be just a straight upward trajectory. And everyone that I know who's had a career in media, and frankly, probably a career at all, they've had periods that were like, pretty dispiriting, uh, layoffs, all of that. It's, it, it's, it goes with the territory yeah. and that's, it's very akin to, uh, you know, show business and the recording industry. Like you have periods where you might be red hot. You may have periods where you, um, you know, you're not, and you may have periods where you age out and you have to figure out what is it you're going to do. Right. And that is just the name of the game. That's how that works. But, you know, but that would be a great example of, you know, I mean, Dexter's unafraid. Yeah. You know, being unafraid, I mean, there's, you know, I'm a big fan of, of delusion, self-delusion, <laughs> big fan. And, uh, you know, as long as it's not harmful, you know, <laughs> right. like I'm the king of France, like maybe probably not a great idea. But uh, but I think that, um, you know, a certain kind of self-delusion and hopefulness that things will work out um, while keeping the wolf from the door Um I mean, that's, uh, that, I think that's a very effective, a lot of people I know that have done very well, part of it's because they just kind of go for it. Like they are yeah. committed and they make reckless decisions in the sense that people may not understand what they're doing, but they're following their heart. And mm-hmm. I, I've never met people that went that way full on that didn't have something interesting going on. Yeah. You know? So I want to go back to something that you said earlier. Um, you talked about how you're working with students and it's really interesting to find students who didn't even think that they had an eye for media at all. And this is something that I relate to very closely because I didn't even think that being in media was anything that I was interested in. Another success story. Um, But, um, you know, how is it, what do you think the the difference is here at DePaul from other places that you've seen where, like, there is this um, ability to find random things that you're interested in? Like, Mm. what do you think the difference is in other? Well, I mean, I think... What what is 
I wouldn't say unique, but what it sets DePaul apart from certainly bigger schools that you, is that you have a much lower barrier to entry to any media. You can walk into this building your first day and some have, not even really knowing what's in here, asking a couple of questions and walking out with a camera. That absolutely happened to a student that I saw. He was just reading <laughs> yeah. you know, my first day or two here, just happened to be reading on the couch. And I was like, well, you look like an interesting person. And you know, and yeah. uh, and the next day or two, that person was 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 filming, and had done some filming before, but all of a sudden, you know, had used the Pulliam Center as a nice place to study, mm-hmm. and little did they know that they were going to be like roped into, yeah, like, yeah. You know? um, so I think that that's the, you know, that's the liberal arts experience that, um, you know, I was very intentional about working in a liberal arts environment because I'm a product of one, and I think that getting a good grounding in thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, just to, the classic liberal arts experience of whether it's economics or history or psychology or sociology or language skills, et cetera, and all, um, certainly the arts and then the additive of being able to come here. I mean, I look at, I look at the Pulliam Center like it's a rugby club that anyone can join except that unlike rugby, there is a market yeah. for what you're doing here when you get out. And so, you know, is DePaul different than every school? No, but like, yeah. is it is it is it unusual compared to the vast majority of what media training is? No doubt, you know. So, and I think you know, there's 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 advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are what I mentioned. The disadvantages are that if you are you know absolutely determined to go, you know, be like uh, a uh, you know, work work in a Hollywood set as a cinematographer, you're probably going to have to go to film school to do that. Right. Um, and that could be an undergraduate program or it could be a graduate program. But mm-hmm. uh, but I'm a believer that learning how to think and being un- uncowed by, um, you know, any kind of barriers because you've been given the opportunity, like, hey, this is all for you, um, it, it can go a long way. And, and I do think, um, and it's not just... Uh, to sort of defend, you know, the, the, the position that DePaul takes in terms of, you know, the way, the way that the university's structured once, you know, meaning it's really, we're really here one to get a core education. That's why students are here. Right. And we're here to encourage students to think more broadly about things outside of class. So, um, I think that, you know, the, the technology changes, and I think that, in my opinion, there's an overemphasis that a lot of media programs on training people in certain kinds of technology, mm-hmm. and that's like the payoff. And that's a little, that's more of a trade school model. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, but that's a different approach. Right. And I think that what you have the opportunity at a place like DePauw is to come out of here with core skills and uh, and a big brain and an ability to think about things critically that you may not have had that opportunity had you gone into a more sort of funneled uh, media program. Yeah. Well, does that answer your question? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. That's my take. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about, um, we've talked about your world war two love letter, world World war War one love letter project. And we've talked about your music that you want to record. Are there any, is there anything else that you're working on right now? Um, I'm obsessed with an idea. I'm working on an idea at the moment and it's slow going, but I'm fascinated by, I, I don't do a lot of, um, narrative film. I've yeah. only done a few shorts, 
but I'm fascinated by poorly, poorly dressed vampires. <laughs> and I'm working on something to do with that. And I've been doing research watching Vim Vendors films. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it's funny. I mean, this is going to make me sound probably a bit unusual, but like now that I'm thinking about casting a film for two vampires, uh, I walk around town and think, would they be a good vampire? <laughs> and so that's been interesting. Yeah. Like Kroger is a much more interesting place than it was <laughs> before. So, I mean, that's sort of the kooky stuff. And then, um, no, I mean, I'm always, I'm always working on a project or two or three. And, um, but that would be the most recent one. But the, the, the love letters would be an experimental documentary. The, the to be determined if it happens vampire project. Um, I'm thinking about vampires. I'm thinking about, yeah, it's probably partly working here and hearing conversations of younger people. Yeah. Um, the idea of like, what is a vampire? Like a vampire's thirsty, a vampire's like need sustenance. And we live in this environment that can, at times can feel really tapped out and difficult. Yeah. And so I'm seeing the vampire, the young vampire as kind of a metaphor for the difficulty of being a young person at this point and you know i have the same kinds of feelings and emotions as a young person i'm sure that you and other young people do but i've i've definitely been affected by conversations that i have with students about the concerns that they have going forward and i'm trying to funnel it in a potentially interesting creative way through vampires so yeah <laughs> since you answered your question i just figured i would go just tell you what's on my mind <laughs> yeah that's awesome that's so interesting if that does come out you're gonna have to you're gonna have to let us know oh, i think it'll happen no i'm already talking to the cinematographer i have a friend of mine who's a film professor at DePaul, and he's all over it so i've i've been doing i'm in my research phase yeah. right now all right. Yeah. Well, be on the lookout for that then. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you this has been, so much, Kiwi. This has been a good checkup from the last time. As always. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. Well, we will not have an episode next week as next week is spring break. However, the week after, we'll have Ashley Jones on to talk about sports communication here at DePaul and where she wants to take that from here. Thank you guys for listening and stay tuned in, Tigers.